Let's come to God's word now. Trish has prayed for us as we hear God's word. Uh, Nan is going to bring it for us. So Nan, come forward. And if you'd like to open up your Bibles, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Thanks, Nan. Thanks. Um, we're going to be reading from um, verse 1 to verse 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of God. Right, if you'd like to keep those Bibles open... Uh, if you haven't got one yet, you'll find it in the seat in front of you, those black Bibles. You'll find in your bulletin an outline that uh, I'm going to be working for, so you, you can work out when I'm going to stop. That'll tell you. And uh, you'll be able to take notes and various things in there. And let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Father, thank you that you're our God, that you are so good to us, that you're the God who speaks. Help us to be the people who listen. Uh, would you work in me what's pleasing to you, in fact, in all our hearts, what's pleasing to you as we sit with your word now and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Isla and Walter are pretty cute, aren't they? Yeah, all that little squishy face. It's very sweet. What are they going to be when they grow up? I know when I was a kid, I wanted to be a dinosaur when I grew up. <laughs> It's fantastic. I could really do a good one of those. Uh, But then when I grew more human skin uh, than dinosaur features, I discovered my ability with stamping. I was really good at stamping, so I was going to be a tap dancer. I actually was only very good at stamping, not tap dancing. So then I set my sights on being a tennis pro because I was pretty handy with a, a racket, so we discovered, but then the injuries followed. So I wound up turning burgers at McDonald's. 
I was a McSoldier, but I was pretty good at that. So then I became a manager at McDonald's, and that went on for some time. And that was about the time when Tom Cruise Maverick came out, the first go, Top Gun. So you know what I wanted to be? I was going to be a fighter pilot. Uh, but uh, that didn't work out so well. So then I was going to be an aeronautical engineer. Uh, but then that got downgraded to civil engineer because my maths wasn't really what it should have been. But then uh, things kept changing. And so then I was going to be, well, a computer-aided designer, and that went on for a little while, and then it was a systems analyst, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm the manager of a shop, and I'm fitting bull bars and driving lights to the front of four-wheel drives. And that was my job. I was looking after those kinds of things. And in the course of that, I became a husband, and then along the way, a father, and then by age 30, I wind up qualified to be an Anglican minister serving in a church. And that brings us, of course, to today. Very little of it was by my own wisdom or direction or choice. Eight-year-old me would still be trying out for young talent time or the tap dogs. (laughs) But instead, here I am seeking to live a life that is worthy of the calling I have received not as a minister, but actually the calling I've received into God's family, the same calling that we have just heard regarding Isla and Walter, and also for all of us. And that's why we're all here today. Received a calling that brings us together into God's family. So that's why you're here, and that's why Paul and Claire and Laura and Chris have brought their children forward. Also, hearing that call, responding to Christ's call. We saw it in those words, didn't we? It happened because God chose to give each of us, God chose to actually gift each of us for this gathering. You are God's gift to this gathering. This gathering that he calls the body and bride of Christ. But what on earth does that actually mean? Uh, what does it mean to be a gift? What is, what is gifting and what are spiritual gifts? And how do they work and what are they for? What have we got? What can we use? And what should we look for in Isla and Walter? She apparently did the chuck, so she can do that. She's pretty good at that. That's a gift, right? <laughs> Hope one should get under control one day. Well, so what should we be looking for in these children? Well, spiritual gifts have been the, pretty much the hottest topic in the church community, the Christian community, for about the past four decades. It came with the charismatic movement uh, who made it that one certain gift would be the touchstone of everything about Christianity. They declared that if you didn't have the spiritual gift of tongue speaking, then too bad, too sad, you're probably not a Christian. Now, it took them a decade or so to work out they'd made a very big mistake on that and realised they were wrong. And so they did realise they were wrong eventually and moved on to the next fad, which was prophetic words of knowledge. That lasted a while, then we, they, they came into the Toronto blessing and now into their current fad, which gives us the prosperity gospel. And that one's been rolling for some time now and is, well, right around the world. Now, as before, they will, they will eventually discover this too is shifting sand that it is a failure of poor Bible teaching and reading. Although it's possible they won't work out why and we'll just simply move on to chasing the next big experience because we're humans, right, and we love chasing experiences. In the meantime, you and I, if we are willing, with our Bibles open, we can actually understand spiritual gifts. We can understand them. 
We can thank God in the meantime for charismatic Christians, and we should thank them, thank God for them. They are brothers and sisters, even if they're struggling with this issue, but they are brothers and sisters who have highlighted all kinds of amazing things in the Bible that we'd been overlooking. But whilst also at the same time we need to set aside the falsehoods and the half-truths that unfortunately came along with it. Now to do that, to do that, we need to look at the Bible. Christians, got to keep your Bible open. Your Bible has to be open and check what the preacher is saying. Here I am telling you that the charismatics have made a mess of reading the Bible. So might I. Don't take it for granted. Get your Bibles open. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to preach on it for the next little while. And if what I say doesn't match it, you're in all kinds of trouble. Open them up. What page is it? Someone want to call it out? Ephesians 4? 948, 949. Find a Bible. Open up to there. Let's look at this. Check out what I say. So what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? What does it actually say? There's a whole bunch here in Ephesians 4. We've already had it read for us. There's actually a whole lot more than that. We find in the Old Testament there's a whole bunch of examples that have no explanation. And then as we come to the New Testament, there's a whole bunch more chock full of explanation. We've got it here in Ephesians 4. We find it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. We find it in Romans 12 and we find it in 1 Peter 4. I'll say them again in case you want to write them down and look them up later. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 and 1 Peter 4. Check them out. You need to have them all in mind when we think about this particular thing called spiritual gifts. By all means, look at them. And if I go off track from Ephesians 4, start reading them instead of listening to me. Otherwise, we're going to dig in and camp here at Ephesians 4. So let's think about it. Spiritual gifts. First question, who does the giving? Who does the giving? Who are these gifts given by? Looking at our Bibles there, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 tells us, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Well, clearly we're reading here that spiritual gifts are the ones given to us by Christ. They're his to give, and he gives them as part of his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Although if we do turn over to Romans 12, we'll see there that the subject of the text is now God the Father. Speaking specifically of him, it says the gifts we receive are from him. But if then we flick over into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to find there that the spiritual gifts will there come to us from the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit. Which is it? Any clues? Maybe it's all three. It's actually all three. One God, one Father, one Lord, one Spirit, one faith one baptism. They're given to us by all three members of the Trinity working together. God the Father bestows them upon his Son at his ascension, who then distributes them to his people through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. It's the Trinity working together as one who does this. The Apostle Peter declared this precise fact when he gave that amazing speech at Pentecost, that first moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter stands up and gives that amazing talk, and it's recorded there for us, Acts chapter 2, verse 33, it says these words. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, 
Jesus has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, says it. There it is, Trinitarian. It's all three. Just as we have here in Ephesians 4. There's one body, one spirit, just as you're called to one hope when you're called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God, Father, Son, Spirit is doing all of it. And that's good news, isn't it? Isn't it nice to know the Bible agrees with itself? There is no conflict here. Okay, so that's who the giver is. Who receives the gifts? To whom are the gifts given? We'll come back to Ephesians 4 verse 7. It says... To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And if you you go back a page, you'll find in chapter 1, verse 1, who's this been written to? Well, it's written by a Christian called Paul to a whole bunch of Christians who are living in Ephesus. Uh, It says they're God's holy people, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Just some of those phrases that are used to describe Christians. So... We're being told here that Christians are the ones who receive these spiritual gifts from Jesus and that no Christian goes away empty-handed. Each is special in God's family. No matter what we think of ourselves, no matter what others might say about us, no matter how we feel or how hopeless or useless we're tempted to consider or think that we're inadequate or that we are a nobody you trust Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then he has given you his Holy Spirit. You're one of God's special people for whom Christ died and to whom he has distributed this grace, these gifts, these spiritual gifts. Every Christian is a winner with Jesus. Every Christian is a winner with Jesus. And no one misses out. And yet while we all receive equally, we each receive differently. So Christ gives different gifts to each one of God's family as he decides. So it's just like you and I will give gifts to people we love at Christmas. I'm presuming you do, maybe you don't. Suggestion, if you love someone, give them a gift at Christmas. It's okay, give it a shot. But of course, of the people we choose to give Christmas gifts to, those we love, we don't give them all the same thing, do we? Because we know them and we love them and we care for them, we will actually give them the thing that's most useful or specific for them because we love them particularly and we know what their circumstances, life and so forth is. So don't give Isla or Walter a laptop computer at this point in time. That would be nice, but it could be a mistake, right? We know and we love and so we give specifically. Well, likewise, it says there, verse 6, these gifts are apportioned to us as Christ himself decides. And that's good, isn't it? He's the one who does the deciding. So, so what are these gifts then? You know, what are these gifts he gives? You know, flowers, chocolates, promises we don't intend to keep. They're the kinds of things we might give to each other, right? So the list of gifts we find in the New Testament is there, but it's not actually a menu for us to choose from. It's not like going to McDonald's and oh, I'm going to have some nuggets and I'm going to have a bit of this, so I might choose that. It's not like that at all. The New Testament doesn't work like that, nor does our relationship with God work like that. And in actual fact, we have no reason to think that the list of gifts in the New Testament is exhaustive. There's definitely more than a listed because they're listed as examples, not as an exhaustive list. And in fact, the key concern of God in the New Testament is about what we do with them. 
It's about godly usage of these gifts. What they're for rather than what they are. What they're for, not what they are. So no matter what Christ has given you as a Christian, the key point is what are we doing with it? What are we doing with these things, not what it is? But actually, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Come back with me to verse 11. Get your eyes back on verse 11 for a moment because there's something really important we learn here about these gifts. Verse 11. Uh, so, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Notice how it's written? Christ didn't give the gift of apostleship. He gave the church apostles. He didn't give the gift of prophecy. He gave the church prophets. Spiritual gifts are not some random infusion or injection of an ability waiting to be applied. No, they're people chosen and equipped by God for a particular purpose, which is fascinating and wonderful. It means that the gift to the church is the person, not the ability. The gift to the church is the person, not the ability. And so it is that the testimony of the apostles is what Christ built the Christian church upon. Them being there, doing, speaking, living what he called them to do. The apostles were those specific men in that specific time. The gift to the church, of course, also was them. And likewise, the prophets who came before them. Those human messages of God that we find mostly in the Old Testament. We don't find random prophecies floating around in the Old Testament. We find people like Moses and Elijah and others embodied people, God given a message to speak. And in the same way that we each benefit from God's gift of Moses and Isaiah as prophets and Paul and Peter as apostles, we also benefit now from Christ's gift to his church of evangelists, pastors and teachers. Each who's speaking to our lives today. All of those people are Christ's gift as the person to the church, which is wonderful. Now, at present in our church, those evangelists, pastors and teachers gifted by Christ to Bulloy Anglican Church, yes, there's a couple of us who are paid staff, but there's a whole heap of volunteer teachers, pastors, evangelists. Some of them are doing their work outside this building right now in our other buildings, in our kids' ministry, rock up here on Friday night and see them in our youth ministry in action. Go to our growth groups during the week and see those people serving in those particular ways as they lead different groups. Various part-time preachers we have here as well. Bruce spoke here last week and, and more. The gifts of Christ, there's a multitude of them in action here that God has gifted to this church at this time in the form of people who are capable of doing those things. They're always resident in a person. And that's why it's the person who's responsible for how they use this gift that God has given them. It's the person who's the gift, and it's the person who's responsible for how they use that gift. So what stands is he going to hold us to? <laughs> What's the purpose? What purpose does Christ gift each person? Well, there it is in the Bible. Verses 12 through 16, it says, 
He gave those people to, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's just like a body, isn't it? Just like a human body. And and do you hear what all those bits are for? It's for the common good of the whole. We're supplied by Christ for the common good of his church, the whole body, the whole church. Each of us is supplied by Christ as a gift for the building up and growth in maturity, in health, in strength and in size of the church to the glory of Christ. It's especially true of those with those teaching gifts, but not just them. It's true of all the gifts that are listed in these various passages. Some people are gifted with this incredible ability to serve, some with generosity, others with encouragement, some with mercy, others with incredible healing gifts and faith and music and tongues and hospitality and prayer and leadership and administration and and a whole bunch more. All of them are placed in spiritually awakened people whom God then uses to convey and carry that gift into his church, even with our weaknesses and our faulty bodies and everything that's going along with it. But as you've probably noticed, there's a special focus here in Ephesians 4 and in 1 Corinthians 12 on the teaching gifts. There's a special focus in in really explaining a lot about those in the Bible. Why is that? It's because the pastors, evangelists, pastors and teachers, they're needed first. Evangelists, pastors and teachers are needed first. They're not just needed first, they're needed always until Jesus returns. These are the particular gifts that establish a church and bring a church together and hold a church together and keep the church functioning. And we're told that in the passage, verse 12. Specifically, we're told there those particular gifts are given, verse 12, to equip his people, all his people, for works of service so that the whole body, so that the whole body may be built up. So that we're no longer infants like Isla and Walter. So that we're no longer like them who are easily blown over by difficulty. They're babies. And they're easily carried away by crafty people. I'm not suggesting you attempt that. I don't think you'll be very successful with these set of parents. But they can just be carried away, can't they? Easily led astray, because they're young and yet not discerning. And so too, the church can be like that, easily carried away, easily blown over by crafty people, but needs to be built up and grow so that we also learn to use whatever gifts God has given to each of us to grow the whole body, to mature the whole body of Christ into him who is our head. Now, that can take a long time to happen, can't it? Growth and maturity is like that. It takes ages to happen. It takes ages to happen in a a baby. It takes ages to happen in a baby Christian too. 
as we grow and mature. And we need help with it. And that's where the evangelist, pastors and teachers come in, making particular use of information and knowledge and meeting together and sharing and teaching so that that's possible. And, and that's why we do what we do as a church. 168 hours in a week, we come here for an hour and a half specifically to do exactly the same thing every single week, to get the Bible open and to be taught by someone who's prepared to help us all grow in the knowledge and love of God. Because we need it constantly. None of us know it all yet. None of us are capable of doing it all. And we, we can't be too intelligent for God. And we can't be too obedient to his word. And until Christ's return, we're always going to need evangelists, pastors and teachers to help all of us prepare for works of service. That's a lot of information, isn't it? That's an information task. And it kind of feels a little bit inauthentic, doesn't it? What, what about our emotions? What about our emotions? Where do they fit our feelings and our experiences? Where do they fit in all this? Well, they fit. They count for something. Indeed, they do. Uh, emotions are the key markers in our identity. They're those key markers in our identity. You and I are just coursing through with them and they, they do all kinds of things in us. And they're constantly there. However, nowhere in the entire Bible do we find anything that tells us to be built up in our emotions, that we need to grow in knowledge and love of our emotions, or that we need to grow and keep adding feelings and experiences and collecting more of these things. No one, nowhere does God say that we need to be more authentic to the ways that we feel. He doesn't need to tell us that because we're already good at doing it. We're constantly good at doing it. That's how we rule and run ourselves constantly every single day. We've got that bit of self-autonomy perfectly worked out and we're very good at encouraging one another to just pursue how we feel, flat out, non-stop. But we don't find that in the Bible. In fact, what we, we find is instruction not to suppress emotion but to understand where it fits in the whole. And so too, as we prayed, and actually we asked parents to raise their children rejecting the false values of our fallen world, rejecting the false emotions of the flesh, rejecting the devil and all his ways, like actually choosing to work out how to reject stuff. That's what Isla and Walter need to learn to do. And so we read in the Bible things like Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, know the truth that will set us free. To live a life worthy of the calling we've received, to, to bear with one another in love, is what it says here in chapter 4, to bear with one another in love. Well, that's hard because it hurts to bear with tricky, difficult people and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit regardless of how we're feeling. See, God calls us to grow into mature Christians, to grow more and more in maturity, not to remain as children. Who, who chase the emotional high, who chase this experience here and that experience there, that fat over here. Children do that and we go, that's fine, they're just working it all out. But for us as Christians, as we grow and build, well, we need to set childish ways behind and build and grow one another up. And we actually do it for each other. As you can see there, each part does its work because each part is necessary. It's just like the human body. Every part of a human body is doing what it's doing to keep you awake right now and functional in this moment. Uh, likewise, it is for me. So as I've been standing here, my brain's been doing all kinds of things, been telling my hands to 
flap around and mouth to keep on working and uh, feet balancing with my toes, telling me to stand more on this foot rather than that foot because this one's hurting right now, so that's okay, radio. Lots is going on. Let's not even get started on my digestive and renal systems. Let's just leave them right out of the picture, shall we? Sure, my kidneys are doing something and it means I'm still standing here. That's good. That's good. We'll keep going. And my skin has been very busy holding me together, stopping me being a pile of mush on the floor that you will go, ooh. Everything's working together. The body only achieves what it does when each part within it does its work. So too in the church. So too in the church. I cannot do what you can do. And without you, I'm in all kinds of difficulty. And, and vice versa. You cannot do what I can do. Without me, you're in all kinds of difficulty. That's the way Christ gifts his people to the church for one another. And as we use our gifts, we can be joined together by every supporting ligament. And as those supporting ligaments, like in our bodies, as we work together in the church, we grow and build one another up in love as each part does its work. And we stop growing when one part stops doing its work. Or we go a bit tilted. God's gift of Isla and Walter to the church. God's gifted them to this church. What's their gift? Yes, they're cute. And they're nice to shock, but at least they're going to smile at you, right? Isn't that nice? But he's actually given them to the church because little children are how God displays what faith is to the church. You and I think we know what faith is. We've got no idea. Look at a baby, then you know. Jesus says, unless you have faith like a little child, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. You want to know what faith looks like? Hang around a baby because that's all they've got. They can't even articulate it. They're just doing it. God's gift in them is that specifically. Well, that's them right now. What's your part in the church right now? What's yours? How has God gifted you by his spirit to serve in this church? How has God gifted you by his spirit to serve in this particular body? What have you already got? And what don't you have? Because we can't all do everything. What's developing and growing in you that may need some assistance, some training, some support, but also maybe what's fading away in you as you get a little bit older or as things don't work like they did or your circumstances have changed? I know it's certainly happening for me. I'm just really glad this is a church where we don't stack up these chairs every week. My last church was like that and I'm no good at lifting chairs anymore. The backpacked it in about, I don't know, five years ago. But there's some strong-backed people here. That's good. <laughs> We're changing, constantly changing under God's good hand. And it might take conversation with other Christians in the body to work out where you best fit now in this season of life for you and, and, and for the church. Indeed, it may, it may take time with one of our evangelist pastors or teachers in this church to have that conversation, to think this through, to help each other work this out. And that's the kind of conversation we love to have because that's the ligaments, the parts of the body, building one another up and growing. And you don't need a pastor, evangelist or teacher necessarily to tell you that because it's actually quite easy to work this out for one another. Spend a few minutes with any one of each of us and, and, and we already know what each one has. You know, Beck's story about she thinking other people could do this job, and everyone, maybe it's you. It needed other people to point out to her. She's actually gifted for that particular task. Sometimes we just don't realise what God has given us. 
and we can encourage each other in this, and we know what resources he's given us to draw on. There are some who are still developing who are very young amongst us, and they need all kinds of care, and, and, and our seasons of life will change. Yes, they will, but the skills and things we use as adults are the same skills and things God has gifted us to use in service of his church. So, how has God made you? How has God made you? How has he, or what has he given in you as a gift to Buller Anglican? Because that's where you are right now. If you're a member of another church, that's right. If you're visiting today, that church, that's, that's where you're the gift to. But if you're here, what has God given you, in you, as his gift to Buller Anglican? How do you play your part in building up this body of Christ in this season? Are there old things that should stop? because they're just not right anymore? Are there new things that could start? Are you living a life worthy of your calling that you've received in this body of Christ? What parts could you contribute to? Remember that illustration of the lifeboat we've been talking about for the last 10 weeks? Church is a lifeboat. And everyone is necessary in the functioning of a lifeboat. Everyone's needed from the crew at the back to the people at the front to everything about it, even maintaining the boat. Everyone's necessary and God has placed all of us here together in this lifeboat at this time to use, to do mission together, to preach that gospel so others will hear and to encourage and build up one another. So what's your spot? Well, in a moment, I'm going to give you a minute, a precise minute, 60 seconds on the clock to think about it before the band comes forward to use their gifts to encourage us to sing. We'll see a little example of some people doing precisely this. I'd love you to pull out that piece of paper, or this piece of paper, I don't care, whatever piece of paper you want to Take a moment and write. Pray, ask God to help you, and write. Maybe the thing you need to do is to tick that box there that says, I would like to request a pastoral meeting. Put your name on there and tell us what the pastoral meeting is. I want to think through this whole gift thing. Love to have that conversation with you. There's a box up the back. You can put them in there. How are we going to serve in this lifeboat? How are we going to raise up little ones within this lifeboat? What part are we each going to play? You've got a minute on the clock to think it through. Time starts now.